What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. So, turn up your Walkman, loosen that scrunchie, and get ready to talk 80s with your host, Lindsay Parker. Hi, I'm Lindsay Parker from Yahoo Entertainment and Sirius XM Volume, and this is Totally 80s. Before we start, just a reminder to follow us at Totally 80s on Facebook and Instagram. Plus, make sure you bookmark wearetotally80s.com for tons of news, stories, and content about our favorite decade. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please be sure to give us a rating review. We'll love you for it. Okay, now today we're going to be talking about 70s artists that went new wave, and joining me today is Rhino's own John Hughes. No, not that John Hughes, but you do have a really awesome name. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I was blessed with a name that was so appropriate because I was, I'm an 80s kid. Mm-hmm. I love all those movies. Uh, when people see my name and they're of a certain age, they always go, are you? And I'm like, no, I'm the one that's still alive. <laughs> you know? oh, I, too and, soon, John I, Hughes, I know, too. But I kind of say it sadly because, you know, it I'm bummed. He's, you know, we're, this is off to an exciting start, isn't it? I know. Great. Well, you know, the 80s had their dark side. Uh, which we'll talk about we'll for talk, sure. We'll definitely talk about that on another podcast. You know we're going to do a goth podcast of at course. some point. It's going to happen. But today we're talking about, it's kind of interesting. So in the 70s, there was a slew of artists that went disco. Right. We remember the Stones doing Miss You, Kiss doing I, what I think is actually a great disco song. I, I was, was made, made for, for loving you. And uh, the list goes on. Ethel but Merman. Ethel Merman went disco? Ethel Merman's disco album. I have it. I'll, you have to hear it. We got to do a 70s podcast now. Oh, it's totally amazing. 70s. Totally 70s. But we'll stick with the 80s for today. So some of the rock artists or artists that were, were not categorized as new wave decided to go new wave because, mm-hmm. you know, the 80s were upon us and all these artists figured they got to get with the times. Jump that train. So, well, you know, some of them some of them got on the train mm-hmm. and some some of them the train crashed. <laughs> some of them the train didn't get off the station. To quote, to quote the cure, yes, some of them were jumping so, someone else's mm-hmm. train. But some of them did a good job. And I want to actually start on a positive note since we started this podcast all talking about like death and sadness. <laughs> Let's talk positively about an artist that I think, and I think you agree, did it actually surprisingly credibly. Really well, and it came just in time. Are we talking about Alice Cooper We're here? talking about Alice Cooper. He got right in there early on, early adopter. It was He was billed as Alice Cooper 80. Almost like Saturday Night Live <laughs> yeah. 80. Remember when they did that too? When there, it was like a yes, new decade, new cast. Well, there was, there was a big, we're going to talk about Village People later, spoiler oh, yeah. alert, but there was a big thing about like, you know, they had a song called like Ready, Ready for, for the, the 80s. 80s. And their um, jinx. And their... Uh, <laughs> You know, they in the movie Can't Stop the Music, they were like, the 80s are here. There were a lot of people that were really excited about the 80s. They didn't see it as the end of Mm-mm. 70s rock or the end of disco. They saw it as a, as a bold new frontier. And uh, Alice Cooper is not someone I would have thought would have been able to jump on the new wave train successfully. I do not remember if he alienated his rock fan base when he did so, but his album Flush the Fashion by Alice Cooper, apostrophe 80, was actually pretty damn good. Well, also an ironic title. When you're flush the fashion, yeah, you're headfirst into the most fashionable genre at the time, and you're like, oh, flush this. But what's really interesting is you got to remember where he was coming from before that. He had had only women bleed, mm-hmm. and how are you going to see me now? These schmaltzy, very uncharacteristically a uh, non Alice ballad hits. And let's not forget, two years before the '80s started, he did because in the Sgt. Pepper movie, <laughs> yes. which we will also do a podcast on. Of course, we can't forget that. Yeah, but I don't know how that was received. I mean, pretty much everyone who was in that movie, other than uh, Aerosmith, crashed and burned. But anyway, I digress. Yeah, I guess you're saying he'd had a few mis not missteps. Yeah, this is almost like a, a comebackish, or you know, maybe a credibility play. Uh, well, you, do you remember how the fans reacted to, to a song I, like Clones? I know it was a modest like top forty hit. It would barely scrape the top forty. I remember it being. I'm from Cleveland. Okay, rock and roll capital of the world. WMMS was the biggest rock station 
of that time. And they played the living crap out of this. And they also played uh, Talk Talk, the not the band, but the song Talk Talk. I think it's pretty funny that yeah. the debut, or not the debut, the first song on the album Flesh the Fashion is called Talk Talk. And for like the... <laughs> Tiniest second, I'm like, am I going to find out that the band Talk Talk named themselves after an Alice Cooper song? Like, that would be bizarre. But that was a 60s remake. There was a garage band oh, okay. remake, but it was done in this really, you know, first of all, the album's produced by Roy Thomas Baker. Which is crazy. You got the car, you know, the guy who produced the cars, Devo. Um, Queen, of course. Queen, of course. And it's this super shiny chrome sound, lots of synths. Uh, but there's like a real tough band behind him, too. You would almost think it's like a Bob Ezrin production. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a great record if you are ready for it. Well, <laughs> there are really good titles. Just before, I, I will freely admit I was not on board with this um, album in Apostrophe 80. I was not on board with Alice Cooper 80. I found out about this album later. But I'm just looking at the track listing. Mm-hmm. And there's a song called Leather Boots. Yeah. And there's a song called Aspirin Damage. Aspirin Damage is the jam. That is, I like Leather Boots a lot. That had kind of a Dave Edmonds yeah. kind of rockabilly feel to it. But like Aspirin Damage should be the name of a band. What's great about Aspirin Damage, besides the title, mm-hmm. is the sequencers. You've got all these <laughs> bloopy, bleepy, uh, Giorgio Moroder type mm-hmm. sequencers happening. And you've got Alice doing this. I don't even know what it's about. It's about doing drugs. It actually sounds really literal. He's like, I have a headache yeah. and I took too much aspirin. <laughs> like, you know, if he was trying to get like an endorsement deal with like Bear or, you know, Air Excedrin. Quote. Air quote aspirin. <laughs> okay, okay. Aspirin There's one called like a song called Grim Facts. Yeah. All of the titles sound like yeah. just just the title alone makes me go, okay, I'm gonna like this song. It's it's an underrated record, uh, I think, but I'm a big new wave guy, so of course I'm gonna lean in mm-hmm. and go, This is awesome. The best part of the whole promotional campaign that they did for this, he was on Pink Lady and Jeff. No way. Where he sang or lip synced clones. Well, kind of no, it's not a lip sync, it's on YouTube. I, ha- I was about to say, is yeah. this on YouTube? Can we it pause the podcast so I can go watch it now? It, he's singing to a track. So he's singing over his vocal. Alice, you know, not in the best physical shape <laughs> at the time, let's say. Um, he had some aspirin damage. He had some something going on. Some kind of damage. Yeah, I know. But uh, those are the grim facts. Yes. <laughs> uh, but he's wearing like a jaunty beret to the side. <gasps> a ja- I love a jaunty yeah, beret. Has he got a Gary Newman look going it's, on? It, it's a thousand percent. I won't say ripped off from Gary Newman, but there's lots of dry ice. There's a cold detached approach. There's a little military black military fatigue thing wow. happening with combat boots. You know, Gary might want to you know, lawyer up. So how long did this phase, um, which I don't think was an awkward phase, I think it was a phase that, you know, at least in the moment worked. How long did this last for Alice? Because by like the mid 80s, he was on the hair metal train doing like one whole poison. Album. Just one? Because <laughs> the next, I think the next two were Zipper Catches Skin and Dada, mm. which were really strange albums. I mean, they were, you thought, if you think Flush the Fashion's out there for Alice, you know, you got to listen to these two. Uh, and then, you know, Alice kind of went away and got better. Got back on the heavy metal train, but the hair metal train. Put the makeup back on, the right makeup, I should say, and became Alice again. You know, so that's, that's a good one. Clones is, a, and let's not forget the Smashing Pumpkins remake of Clones. Have you ever heard that? I have not. It really shows you how muscular wow. a song this is because they kind of really do a great job with it. Kind of makes sense because, you know, like Smashing Pumpkins almost had their own sort of metamorphosis from being like a grunge rock band to being like a gothic yeah. industrial band. So that totally makes sense. All right. Well, 
for the rest of the podcast, I hadn't I hadn't tipped you off on this. We're just going to talk about Renaissance by the Village People. <laughs> Cross everything else off you have on your list. We already mentioned the Village People, so um, we started off the podcast by talking about a band from the seventies that, or an artist from the seventies, Alice Cooper, who made a somewhat successful transition in new wave. Mm-hmm. Now let's go to the other end of the spectrum. <sighs> but by successful. It was successful in my book. It was not successful on the charts at all. Randy Jones, the cowboy, quit the Village People over this album because he thought it was disrespectful to all those disco fans who, um, you know, liked Can't Stop the Music. Mm. Apparently the music could be stopped, (laughs) or at least the disco could be stopped. So, Let me tell you a story. Please tell me. For my 10th birthday. (laughs) I already like where this is going. Like that? I asked for three albums. Mm -hmm. Um, ABBA, Arrival. Okay. Barry Manilow, this one's for you, and the Village People go west. Oh, I was going to say, did you ask for Renaissance? Because that no. would be a pretty gutsy move for a ten-year-old. Fast forward mm-hmm. thirteen years, my mom is shocked when I come out, <laughs> and I'm like, "Look, uh, do I need to draw a map?" Uh, so, when Renaissance came out, this was the most important album. This was my Zeppelin four. No way. Because <laughs> I loved New Romantics. Mm-hmm. I loved Spandau Point One. You know, like Muscle Bound, like Muscle Bound, yep. Journeys to Glory. Diamond was my touchstone. Yeah, none of yeah, this through the barricades right, right. stuff. And then I saw on the Mike Douglas show one day when I'm <laughs> homesick. The Village People debuting. It was like a big deal. They're debuting their new romantic look. And, you know, Mike Douglas. Mike Douglas or Mirth Griffin? No, it had to have been Mirth Griffin because Mirth Griffin was so on board the Village People. He he was like on their like roller disco, like Playboy specials and all that jazz. And this used to be on YouTube. Somebody pulled it down. Somebody being uh, a member of the Village People because they very much disavow this record. But I don't think Uh. they should. He's like super interested in, tell me about this new romantics, you know, and it's really hysterical. I think Felipe was the spokesperson. Felipe Rose. Yeah, at the time, which you know him as the Indian or the Native American. Is he called the Native American now? Did they get get with the programming? They better. Because they still tour some version of the village people tour. And my guess is they never do anything from Renaissance. Yeah. But- they did, Do You Want to Spend the Night? Okay. And I was like, can I have this record? And, you know. Uh, oh, so you weren't turned off by it. Oh, no. Because a was, lot of their fans were. This was the most amazing <laughs> shift. They're Now they're 80s. They're looking forward. Do you want to spend I was not allowed to have the record because it was a Christian household, so I had to sneak it. Well, you could have said, like, it's about a husband asking his wife to spend the night. Doesn't matter. They had, okay. they had makeup on. That oh. was the problem. So it was okay when they were wearing, like, thongs they and, like, Native American very headdresses. Very masculine men. Okay. They were masculine <laughs> so, archetypes. You're right. They, they were leading the way for me. The leather man was okay, that, but a, a little biker. bit of rouge he's, is not. No, he's, he's on a Harley. Interesting know? where the boundaries were drawn. Yeah, it was very strange. Okay. Uh, sorry, Mom. And so... Uh, Did she let you watch Cruisin'? Because she's like, oh, they're oh, masculine. No, I was not allowed to watch Cruisin'. <laughs> they're wearing leather and uh, jeans. Right. But I snuck off to Camelot Music with my paper route money, and I snuck it home and wow. the Camelot Music bag. And that album was hidden behind a few other albums. And I'm telling you, I was so disappointed oh. when what the first song is 5 o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. right? I'm like, this isn't New Wave. It gets New Wave at the end. Well, let's, let's yeah. backtrack for a minute for people who don't know about Renaissance because that would be a fair assumption to make because this record was a flop. I It is on Spotify. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pa- uh, pause and Google now. Okay. It is <laughs> it is available online. It is available on YouTube. But, I don't, you know, it's not a record that people think of when they think of the Village People. No. So, yes, they had these masculine archetypes before. They, you know, were dressed like the cowboy and whatever. And Randy Jones, like I said, the original cowboy was not on board with this. But the 80s were coming. Disco, we all remember what happened in 1979 at Comiskey Park. A lot of people didn't like disco. Disco was a dirty word. Mm-hmm. So even though dance music still existed and, you know, it just changed shape. So I, I kind of understand why the village people who were already, you know, pretty much from the jump considered a novelty act, wanted to transform. And um, I think perhaps 
it wasn't entirely unsuccessful. I feel it could have worked. Yeah, I think the, with better with the songs, choices were bad. It, it would if the whole album. So the album is a weird sequence because it has a lot of songs that I would say are more like R and B disco songs. Not huge departures from what they did before. Do you sonically. want to spend the night? Sounds like an, 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 an exile outtake. Exactly. It's a know? little soft rock. A right. little soft. R&B, but there's like three or four songs at the very end, which might as well have been like Chibo Mato or Weird Al songs. They're the, all about food. The Food Trilogy. Okay, the Food Trilogy. Mm-hmm. Is, is I've never called it that before, but I will forever call it. So Food Fight mm-hmm. is amazing. It sounds like a Devo song. Yep. It sounds like what Hollywood thinks a Devo song would sound like. It sounds like when, if you were watching like Different Strokes yeah, or and Facts they, of Life, and there's like- wacky new wave And band. there's punks, and they're wearing <laughs> trash bags as dresses, and they're wearing those glasses that are just like- the long stripe across the face. There's a safety pin in her mm-hmm. nose. That's what it sounds like, but in the best possible way. If you go on YouTube and you look up this song, the first thing that comes out is a, like a fan-made video that says New Romantic Dances to Foo Fight. And it's just a loop of some like person who looks like they were at the Blitz Club dancing to like, <laughs> to cut a long story short, by Spano Ballet, Dancing to Food Fight. <laughs> And then there's another song called Big Mac. Big Mac. That's completely literal. More yeah. literal than aspirin damage. It's literally just like, I'm hungry. I, I like burgers. Mm-hmm. Nothing will hit the spot except Big Mac. I don't know if McDonald's are involved. Someone should have looped <laughs> McDonald's in. <laughs> And then there's a song just to counteract that that's called Diet. Oh. And it spells out the word diet, much like YMCA. Like, why are we not at weddings going D-I-E-T? We're and, not doing that. We should start. They were so brazen. They had no problem rhyming diet with try it. <laughs> Did they rhyme it with riot? Riot. that feels and, like more obvious. Is try it. <laughs> the fact that you're like, you know what? This is going to be the most obvious rhyme I'm going to, it's like someone throws a left hook at you, you lean into it. Did they rhyme it with quiet? <laughs> quiet they should have. Quiet riot? I don't, I guess the song was telling people they should diet, which well, is contradictory to the fact the that last they were two songs, just saying yeah. eat Big Macs and getting food fights. It would be considered fat shaming now probably to have a song that's like, you should go on a diet. But, you know, you got to stay slim in those costumes. So back to the costumes. So yeah. they eschewed all that. If you look at the cover of Renaissance, mm-hmm. they got the slash blush, mm-hmm. you know, the maybe it's Maybelline look. Two different covers, by the way. I like the one where they look more bummed. Yeah. The one that's a close of other face. The police lineup cover. In the, in the, in yeah. the one that's a wider shot, which yeah. is the one you see online more now. Right. They look like they're enjoying themselves. Right. Like, it's yay, like, like, the 80s are here. The, the gay club got busted and we're, you know, we're <laughs> in the police lineup. Yeah. But the one that I think might have been the original cover, the one that's the close oh. up of the faces. Right. With, with cheeks Yeah. You know, where you can in. really right. see yep. the makeup. I mm-hmm. think they really want to make the impact of mm-hmm. you can really see that they're wearing the sort of, it's actually, people say Spanish Ballet or, or they say Duran Duran. It's more either Adam and the Ants or very Visage, Visage very Steve Strange. Uh, that whole Blitz Kids. It's uh, very yep. Blitz Kids. Mm-hmm. It's, they all look like extras in the Ashes to Ashes David Bowie video. In there. You get the feeling Jacques Morales, mm-hmm. that was his name, the producer and the mastermind. You get the feeling he was like in Birmingham one night and, <laughs> and like fell into the Rum Runner Club and said, this is it. This is what's going to be the future for the village it's people. It's so awesome that you used a Rum Runner reference <laughs> and even more awesome that I completely knew what you meant. I wasn't right. like, huh, what's that? <laughs> There's going to be four other people out there that, you know. Yeah, side, well, side note, the, the, first right time, the first time I ever went to England when I, I spent most of my time in London, but I decided to do a little, some day or like couple day trips to other mm-hmm. parts of England. And I specifically went to Birmingham just 
to wow. see where the worm runner was and to see where Duran Duran grew up. I was there for like about a day and then realized um, why they were so ambitious. <laughs> Got to get out. Not, when I was glamorous as I thought I was going to be, but back to the village people. So in this picture that is an up close shot that I guess is supposed to really showcase their new look. And you can't tell who was the cowboy right. and who was who, who used to be the cop, who used to be the leather guy. Cause they all just right. look like now. I like know. Glenn Hughes is pretty Glenn Hughes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, fair. Yeah, actually, he kind of he kind of adhered to his. You old can't aesthetic. have they can't hide that mustache. But he had less distance to go. I think. Right. Yeah, that was the next step for him for sure. But that being said, they, in this picture, they just look bummed. They look like yeah. the Jacques guy was like, put these outfits on. They're like, really? Do we have to? This isn't going to work. And I don't recall what the backlash was. You might know what the if there was one or if oh. the charts. Was there any charts hits off this? It, huge in Germany. Huge. And Australia, I believe. Huge, huge, huge. Australia, interesting. Uh, Two number ones in Italy. Okay. Uh, Both five o'clock in the morning and do you want to spend the night number one in Italy. Not food fight? Never released as a single. Like I said, it was, for me, buying it and being excited, it was almost false advertising. (laughs) Because I was like, yeah, this is going to be new wave. And, And then it was like, oh, it's like... I want to kiss you all over by exile. You it, that's know? Ver- that actually, I think, might be the point that if the village people were going to commit mm-hmm. to or come up with this idea, they were changing everything. They were changing their look and their sound, mm-hmm. and they were embracing the 80s and embracing the Steve Strange type of, of new wave that yep. they look like on the outside. They needed to commit to that sonically. Someone got scared at the last minute. And they were like, like we're not we, going to get on radio. Yeah, we need two singles for the U.S. And yeah. here you are. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, here it just kind of came and went without a trace. And I have to wonder, oh, boy, I wish I worked at Casablanca <laughs> at the time. <laughs> I bet you did. Because it was like, you know, first of all, great. Thanks for all the free Coke. Secondly. <laughs> you know, uh, there's a Casablanca movie coming out. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. We'll talk <sighs> about that when that comes out. Oh, it's amazing. It's going to be so good. But the second would be like, I get this album I'm the A&R guy. And I go, oh, I know. We'll get them on Merv. <laughs> they knew they had the Merv on the rotary speed dial. Yeah. Was speed dial even a thing? They knew they could get Merv to support it. You know what it reminds me of? You know, I'll draw a modern day mm-hmm. okay. flop example. Justin Timberlake's Man of the Woods. Yes. Okay. So You're bone of air all of a sudden. Yeah. That. Well, that's what we thought. Yeah. So they call it Man of the Woods. Right. They show some weird YouTube video where he's like, Chopping, chopping timber in like a <laughs> flannel and like wrapped around a woolly blanket, like drinking cider or some shit. And it's just like, okay, maybe, you know, he had a successful collaboration with Chris Stapleton on one mm-hmm. of the award shows, one of the country award shows. Maybe this is his country record. He's from Tennessee. This makes sense. We're going to get a like Americana record from him. And then he comes out and his first video is filthy where he's dancing <laughs> with like a, a robot in like a Steve Jobs turtleneck. And it's like, what the hell is this? Yeah, what happened? I thought you were a man of the woods. So like, <laughs> That was one thing where that record felt very. Dist- I love Justin Timberlake, by the way, but that record was not good, and it did, and it was marketed wrong. Right. In that, people thought they were going to get this direction from him. Bait and switch. It was a bait and switch. Mm-hmm. So you know, before there was Justin Timberlake's Man of the Woods, there was the Village People's Renaissance. That he should have learned. That and clones. Flush the fashion probably a year too early mm. because no MTV yet. So you're stuck with Pink Lady and Jeff and Merv to promote your wares. <laughs> Maybe so, American Bandstand or Solid Gold. Yeah, or, I have um, to wonder if they were on American Bandstand for that record. I think I do remember them on American Bandstand doing Food Fight. And this could <gasps> be a completely made up thing in my head. But <laughs> it's something, a dream you we had. We may have a mutual friend, Jim Laspisa, who I okay. think posted that video on YouTube and it got yanked down of them doing Food Fight. The new romantic dancing Action food Man. Still up. It was Action Man. Oh, nice. Well, to sum up, that it could have maybe worked if they'd committed a bit more to the aesthetic sonically as much as they did makeup-wise. But yeah. they did rebound nicely in 1985 with Sex Over Sex the Phone. Sex Over the Phone. That actually was a minor hit. Bigger hit overseas again. Again. Hello, Fantasy Hotline. What's your credit card number? 696 
Uh, yes, you know, I work for SiriusXM Volume, and they had callers on Debatable saying the uh, top five songs that are about phones, and like one, you know, uh, Hanging on the Telephone by Blondie was number one. I'm like, where's Sex Over the Phone? Sex Over the Phone, Telephone Operator by Pete Shelley? Yeah, those were my two choices, okay. and neither of them made the cut. Oh, bummer. Well, moving on, there's one record, I think, I have, I'm very curious to see what you think about this one, because okay. I actually really liked this record, and much like... The village people trying to reinvent themselves. This was a guy who uh, appealed to a 70s disco-y fan base. And I actually think this was a very credible attempt to reinvent himself. And I don't know why it kind of didn't work, but Sean Cassidy's Wasp. Produced by Todd Rundgren. Yeah, okay, good. You know, I had of a feeling. Course. There was one person in my life that would immediately bring the facts, <laughs> the grim facts. It would be you. I, the, okay, I was there again. Uh, uh, Sean shaking it up, mm-hmm. you know, no longer your sister's favorite singer. I, all I remember is that it was a weird cover because he's like pressed up against some saran wrap. And he's got like a bug oh, on no, his face. No, no, that's, no, that's, the, that's under wraps. That's the album that either came before that or after. Damn, look at you yeah. with the, going oh, with the deep geez. Sean Cassidy knowledge. Where did that come no, from? he had like a yeah, bug on his face. Right, a wasp. Wasp, yeah, exactly. And here's the thing I love and hate about Todd Rundgren. Ooh. Everything he produces sounds like, sounds like Todd Rundgren. It really actually, yeah. he wrote, I think, there's a lot of cover songs on Wasp, yeah. but the originals were all written or co-written by Todd. Yep. No, you're right. He puts a stamp on everything, which is great if you like If, if you're you a like fan. Him. I'm a fan. I am too. But, you know, sometimes you want the psychedelic furs to sound like the psychedelic furs. Fun fact, do you know what my favorite, we're going, no, this is 80s, this is 89, so okay. it, it counts. My favorite Todd Rundgren produced record, it came out in the 80s, I want you to guess. came uh-huh. out in 89. Well, it's not going to be Skylarking then. No, it's uh, it's a somewhat obscure band. Oh, gosh. You know, I'm stumped. Pursuit of Happiness, oh, Love Junk. Oh, CSOB. Such or TPOS crap. or whatever it is. We're bad with the acronyms. <laughs> Unless it's D-I-E-T. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We can't do it. Uh, anyway, yeah, but yeah. I will. Going back to Sean Cassie, I agree yeah. with you. It really yeah. sounds like a run-grown record, which yeah. I think was good. I'm looking at like the track listing. There were original songs, but he did a lot of covers that I think were good covers. He did Bowie by uh, Rebel Rebel, Rebel by Rebel, Bowie. Which was the single. He did uh, So Sad About Us by Pete Townsend. He did Ian Hunter, or, you know, Once Been, Twice Shy. Go back to that. Talking Heads. He did a Talking Heads song. Right. Go back to So Sad About Us. That's a great track, Mm -hmm. the way they did it. I love that song. really gutsy move of Sean and I think it it could have worked I'm trying to think of an example of a teen idol who has made a move like this where it was well received I mean obviously we we mentioned Justin Timberlake Ricky Nelson there's definitely Mm -hmm. teen idols who made a stab at credibility in some way and it stuck want to go back to the 60s maybe the monkeys with headquarters okay I would and then them doing the head movies yeah I mean it didn't stick but that didn't stick (laughs) but you know 50 years for people to catch up I mean I guess Sean Cassidy had it kind of against him. Donny Osmond for a minute sort of had a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Soldier of Love. When oh, he, no. When he, when he became George Michael. I have found yeah. I have found the one. Okay. Crazy Horses by the Osmonds. Boom. There we go. Exactly. This, okay, so Wasp could have been his Crazy Horses. Well, the one record everybody is credibly into right. and it's like, oh, I'm not like a big Sean Cassidy fan, but Wasp kicks ass or whatever. What happened? Don't know. I can tell you this. I lived in record stores, specifically Camelot Musics, all over Northeast Ohio in the 80s. And the thing that album had in common with another album, they were both in every cutout bin I ever saw. There were Never a good sign. There were stacks of it. What was the other one? Jules Shear, Watchdog, the one that Todd Rundgren also produced. Todd Rundgren, Kiss of Death. You know, not always. Not always, but I think those were like a year apart. You know, Todd, 
not the much of a hot streak at the moment. Well, I really liked Sean Cassie's Wasp. I have a dream. Can we invite him here? I want to interview him about this record. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he feels it was a record he's proud of. He should. I think he should be. Or if it's one of those things that he sort of looks back on and like cringes and goes, what was I thinking? I was trying. I was Johnny Bravo trying to uh, use <laughs> to use a 70s reference. Like I was trying on the wrong suit. But, you know, you can't keep doing like what was he gonna do? idle stuff you, forever. Yeah. You, he, he had a choice. He could try something new or he could be Leif Garrett. Well, Leif Garrett has done some interesting stuff he's done yeah. some stuff with the melvins right right and uh celebrity rehab yeah, well. and he had a really good vh1 behind the music that will oh, have that you was crying one of the best ones when ever. the guy in the wheelchair that he yeah. like mm, you know brutal. maimed in an accident and then like walked away from is like i forgive you leaf and it's <laughs> this like, oh episode is so dark well, you know, the 80s weren't all, you know, yeah, yeah. girls just want to have fun right? and the future's so bright, I got to wear shades. You know what? Before we go on, I think we need to take a break. We'll be right back talking about more 70s artists who went new wave on Totally 80s. Prince's iconic album, 1999, is now available in Super Deluxe, CD, vinyl, digital download, and streaming editions. The Super Deluxe is the deepest dive to date into Prince's vault, and it features 35 previously unreleased tracks, including 24 studio recordings, a complete concert from the 1999 tour recorded at the Masonic Hall in Detroit, and the CD and vinyl sets also feature a previously unreleased DVD concert performance recorded live at the Summit in Houston. The full-color booklet features rare photos and new liner notes written by Guns N' Roses' Duff McKagan, Rolling Stone critic David Frick, Minneapolis writer and broadcaster Andrea Swenson, and Prince scholar Dwayne Tudal. The newly remastered Super Deluxe edition of Prince's 1999 is available now wherever you get music. I'm Lindsay Parker from Yahoo Entertainment and Sirius XM Volume, and this is Totally 80s. We're back with John Hughes. No, not that one. <laughs> I but wish. the other, the other John Hughes. Yes. Talking about 70s artists of different genres who went new wave with varying degrees of success. As we've discovered so far. So I think you have a couple on the list that you yeah, want to bring up. Just some personal sentimental favorites. I, I always really liked Lindsay Buckingham Go Insane. The oh, album, yeah. not just the single. The album, you've got this guy who I had, honestly, I had zero time for Fleetwood Mac growing up. Zero. Seriously, not even zero. the Mirage album? Zero time. Not even the Mirage mm, album. Uh, it was, that was their 80s I know. You know, MTV moment. Yeah. Wow. No, I, was, I was so not that AOR singer-songwriter kind of guy. So I mean, I wasn't either. I'm, I'm yeah. going to admit that, like, you know, I, I revisited the the 70s stuff mm-hmm. later and and definitely the Love stuff. Love it now. But Mirage was, I mean, that was all, Gypsy was all over MTV. Yeah, that was the problem for me. Interesting. <laughs> Hold Me's a jam. Yeah. yeah, but it's like, okay, there's heavy rotation and then there's like, oh my God, it's a nail in my eyeball. All of their videos were directed by, yeah. at that time, by Russell Mackay. Yep, the a man. A genius. The myth. But okay, so, but, okay, so you weren't down with that, but then when- But I love Trouble. When that That's came a great out. song. And then there's a song that was released as the second single from Law and Order and it called It Was I. And it's so bizarre. It's like him singing with himself and everything's like sampled and pitched up. And really? it's really bizarre. It sounds like he's duetting with Mickey Mouse. And it's <laughs> and who picked this as a single? But Go Insane, much more accessible. Again, heavy rotation on MTV yeah. with that video. I lost my power in this world. What 
was up with the hair. He, the you know, death-defying hair. The 80s were a time of big hair. Big, he had the biggest hair and the biggest shoulder pads. <laughs> the, again, you know, it was the 80s. And in that suit. Uh, but it's a great album. There's also the follow-up single, which I thought was going to be the big smash, because I was always about the follow-up single. I was like, okay, great. You had a hit. Now let's follow. I was already a junior A&R guy. Is, you know, I was the same way. Yeah. I have thoughts on that, but finish your thought, yeah. and then I'll tack on Slow dancing. I'm like, this is going to be a huge... You're, you're shaking your head I don't remember. you never heard of this. I think he was in trouble, but I, I'm yeah, I still know... Watch, someone's going to like catch me out on this, but I still think I know that Slow Dancing peaked at number 104 on the Billboard Bubbling Under chart. There's another song on Go Insane called I Must Go. Pretty much it's about his then-girlfriend at the time being addicted to cocaine. And Very 80s. It, the lyrics are, hey, little girl, leave the little drug alone. <laughs> so there's not a lot of misinterpretation yeah. happening here. Great song. I don't know if it could have been a single with that lyrical content. Was but. that a song for Stevie Nicks by any chance? Mm-hmm. Or uh, no, I inspired think I, by? No, I think I read it was actually about his girlfriend at the oh, time. Okay. Yeah, I remember reading something. It's kind of the though. 80s companion piece to Gold Dust Woman. Right. You hey, know? Gold Dust Woman, leave the well, little. It was, you know, it was fashionable, and mm-hmm. then in the 80s it got out of control, right? Absolutely. So if you haven't heard Go Insane, go check it out. It's really good record. It's definitely a new wave record. Obviously, I don't think he wanted to capitalize on what was hot. I think he was just like, oh, this is happening and these songs fit and why not? But it's interesting the point you made about second singles because I have a very specific moment about that that I would like to share. Because when I was a kid, you know, a, a song would come out on MTV and it would be hyped. And then usually if it did well, the next single would get premiered on MTV. Yeah. And I kind of always assumed that if MTV was premiering a song and and had been really on board with a single, the first single or the previous single by the band, that, you know, Mm -hmm. it it was just going to continue. So I very specifically remember, okay, Come On Eileen by Dex's Midnight Runners was on MTV about every, like, hour. Yep. It was on, I would see it seven times a day. It was one of the biggest songs of, I think, 1983. And I remember specifically waiting to watch the music video by the Celtic Soul Brothers. Yeah. For the Celtic Soul Brothers by Dex's Midnight Runners. It's probably the only time MTV ever played it. I never saw the video it again until YouTube came. started. Y- YouTube. And the only reason I... See, you actually saw it. I saw it because I, I they never said, saw it. They I said saw- they were going to show it and I waited. I saw it on the Young Ones when they performed it on the Young Ones. They on performed MTV. that song on. They did the Celtic Soul Brothers on the Young Ones. I remember oh, then they did oh, Jackie no, Wilson. You're right. Says. They did Jackie Wilson. Don't said. step to ah, me with the Young Ones look facts. At you. Don't step to me with Love the Young it. Ones facts. Where did that was hear? my favorite show of all time. Yeah. I no, they were on Dex. They were right. on uh, Young Ones, you're but they did not right. do. So you didn't even see it then. I didn't even see it then. Somehow I had heard that song. It's a great song. Well, I somehow heard it because it's the first album I ever owned. Oh, okay. See, I never owned Two Ray. Two Ray is so good. So good. I was like, why wasn't this a hit? Yeah, it was. That's exactly. It was. I mean, I'm not going to claim it was as good mm-hmm. as "Come On Eileen" because "Come On Eileen" is the most perfect song of right. all time. This is true facts, not yeah. grim facts. It's just facts. <laughs> but when I remember that video came out, it was a big deal for me. Like I said, I waited for it to yeah. premiere, and then I liked it, right? And I already had the album, loved the album, so I would sit around watching MTV, and I'm like, mm-hmm. they're not. They were still showing "Come On Eileen." And I'm like, why aren't they showing Celtic Soul Brothers video? What happened at Mercury Records in the U.S.? Well, that's the thing is it was my first memory of going, oh, if MTV doesn't get behind your single, Mm -hmm. 
Radio doesn't either. And or the record company. If they don't get behind it, who did they? Did Kevin Rowland piss someone off? Probably. Did he probably. refuse to come over for promo? Something. It was my first you, example. These are the days you, when you have a big hit, and no matter how crappy your second single mm-hmm. was, you drafted on that momentum, mm-hmm. and you at least got in the top thirty. I mean, exactly. I, I can't think of an example off the top of my head. But there are songs no, but, where I'm like, that was it. Yeah, a lot of Mother's times, Talk by Tears for Fears. Yeah, there could you, go. you ever imagine that being a top forty hit today? No, it's well, they were they were that was one of their weirder songs that definitely yeah. feels like an album track. But yeah, in general, you know, like the Hungry Like the Wolf would be a hit, and then Rio would also be a hit, and Wait. then Save a Prayer would also. Why be a was hit. Save a Prayer not a single in the U.S.? Yes, it was it, it, later well, they, for Arena. But when a Rio was out, it never was in the top forty. They had a music video that was on MTV all the time, constantly, but never released as a single. How did I not know that? I know, crazy, Revoke right? Broke my Duran Duran fan wiki, club card. Wiki this. Well, I just figured if it was a video, it was a single. Yeah. Are uh, you sure you're not thinking of Lonely in Your Nightmare one? No, Lonely in Your Nightmare. Right. Yeah. We're going off on a tangent. Nightboat. But it was really, <laughs> Nightboat was a good one. Uh, we'll save that for the Duran Duran podcast. But it is, yeah, the interesting thing about how like certain songs, it's it ties into whatever we're saying. Like, yeah. could the Sean Cassidy album or the Village People album had been a hit if mm-hmm. like, some person had really promoted if someone at the label had really stuck their neck out Let's be if honest. MTV had existed and put the out a video from Renaissance or Wasp in high rotation there's so many weird variables that as kids we you might have been aware of it because you were like looking up bubbling under charts when you were eight I was and, but I, not and, me. and I knew all about payola yeah, because so, you watched American Hot Wax yeah, or something? Yeah, or FM, the yeah. movie FM. Okay, yeah. But why not? I've you met know. my match, dude. Yeah, but you just you just see these things and you're like, why wasn't that a hit? Just on, mm-hmm. uh, just drafting on momentum of nothing else. That should be a podcast we should do some other yeah. time. Why wasn't that a hit? And the we'll failed, talk about the Celtic Soul Brothers again. The failed follow-up. The failed follow-up. Mm-hmm. It sounds good. I like a good alliteration. Okay. All right. Can we talk about Neil Young's trans album? I would love to talk about it. Neil won't talk about it, but... We, I've <laughs> talked to him about it. Really? Really? What yeah. did he say? He was actually really happy I brought it up, and I was wow. surprised because when I, I interviewed him at South by Southwest just last year, 2018, and I really wanted to talk to him about trans. Mm-hmm. It was around the time he was promoting all his the archive stuff he's doing online, right. and I was worried if I brought it up that he would be like, I wanted to approach it to him to be like, look, I want to talk to you about this because I'm a fan. Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk to you about it from the perspective of like, what were you thinking? Or this giant commercial failure or this career misstep because I don't feel that way. A lot of times Mm -hmm. the way you get, yeah, he did. He brought the lawsuit up on his own. We'll talk about that. But a lot of times when I've interviewed people, I want to, you know, I want to talk to Garth Brooks about Chris Gaines. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to Peter Frampton about the Sgt. Pepper movie. And sometimes they bristle, but I feel if you approach it to them being like, look, I'm on your side. I feel mm-hmm. like this should have been a hit or should have been understood. So he actually talked about it with me and he said, I don't know what has happened since then, but he said there was an animated film that was supposed to come out with trans mm. that Geffen kiboshed. You know, they were like, no way, Jose, because, you know, they, as you mentioned, there was a lawsuit about mm-hmm. how he was doing stuff that wasn't like on brand for him. Misrepresentational, I think was the term. Right. So yeah. they had signed him to Geffen and said, you can do whatever you want. He took that really to heart, <laughs> right. did whatever he wanted. And they were like, "Not, but not that. <laughs> Don't do a but synth not, pop record. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't even a synth pop record. Yeah, it was just a synthy record. It was yeah. like a Krautrock, mm-hmm. Kraftwerk, Sprockets record right. with sequencers and vocoders. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, you know, Transformer Man, mm-hmm. Computer Age. If you look at old like YouTube video of him performing it, I I don't know where he's performing it, but he's performing it with I think Nils Lofgren, and he has like the Devo glasses on and the vocoder talk box thing going on, and the audience just looks I don't know if they look bummed, they look stunned. Yeah, they're like, what the hell is this? Where's you know? It's a new direction for Neil. And, you know, he is someone, again, who can do whatever he wants and was unlike maybe the Village People or Sean Cassidy or even Alice Cooper in a position to do that and, like, not lose his entire fan base. But he talked about how there's an animated film that never came out and he was working to get it finally done. And, of course, a lot of people I don't think realized at the time like the touching story behind why he was doing all this computer music. I assume you know that. Because of his son, right? Yeah, his son had cerebral cerebral palsy? 
bridge benefit concerts were inspired by that. Yes, his son Ben. Uh, yeah, Sarah yeah, was born with cerebral palsy and I didn't able to okay. speak. And he, uh, you know, so he was working on music with computers that sort of like could speak to his son mm-hmm. and, and connect with his son. So he had a real personal reason behind it. But, you know, Geffen, I don't know if they knew that or they. Write me a hit, buddy. It's a little known part of his catalog. You yeah. can actually listen to the album online now. It's not uh, out of print. It's not buried. Well, it's funny you bring up Devo Glasses because, you know, he had been working with them on Human Highway mm-hmm. right before that. And, and I if, wonder if how much you, influence there was. Yeah, if people know that, then maybe it makes a little mm-hmm. more sense to them. But I, I think that record's really great. The first time I ever heard about it, if you remember the band The Moog Cookbook, yep. mm-hmm. those guys, when I, I used to work with them, and a long time ago, they made me a VHS tape of just, yeah, it was that long ago, of just <laughs> random synth stuff that he liked. Wow. And they put a bunch of Neil Young trans live performances on. I will admit that was how I first heard about the yeah. record. And I, I couldn't even believe it was Neil Young. But I, I think that record, I think there's a lot of love for it now. In the, You know, there's certain cult records that people embrace. Right. But I was very happy that when I talked to Neil about it, he not only didn't mind me asking about it, mm-hmm. he was stoked to, to talk about well, it. Well, what's funny is, just to put a pin in the whole Neil New Wave thing, you have him, the follow-up album, Everybody's Rockin', which kind of, you know, jumps on the rockabilly train that was happening with Stray Cats and Pole mm-hmm. Cats and things like that. And Geffen seemed to really get behind that one because that video was on MTV constantly. And I think it even came close to being top 40, that single, uh, Wandering. Didn't Tim Pope direct that music? Yes, video? with the that where it's a missing frames, so it's very kind of jittery I, and I've bizarre. interviewed Tim Pope, and that yeah. was the first time he ever came to America was to do that video. Wow, it's a really good video. Yeah, they, MTV did play that one a lot. Yeah, so I wonder if, you know, Geffen thought maybe, hey, this one will work. Maybe because it was a little more tuneful and definitely had guitars on it. Yeah. I think they probably were like, there are no guitars on this. I think that's a good record. There's any others you want to talk about? I have a whole long list. Go. Stephen Miller Band, Abracadabra. Go. I will go from Abracadabra to Italian X-Rays. That was a leap. (laughs) All right, I'm trying to follow you here. Have you ever heard Italian X-Rays? I have not. So someone either at Capitol or the Steve Miller camp said Abracadabra was huge. It was New Wave. It was number one. Let's capitalize on this and make a record that was 100% synth pop even more than Abracadabra. The single is called Shangri-La. This is a Steve Miller Band album? Steve Miller Band album in name only. I think he walked in one day and sang the melodies they told him to. He said, collected his check and left. Got it and left. You have to stop this podcast and go to YouTube and see the video for Steve Miller Band, Bongo Bongo. So we actually literally stopped the podcast so I could watch these Steve Miller Band's videos that for the life of me, I cannot remember. What were they, Shangri-La, and what was the other one? Uh, Bongo Bongo. Bongo Bongo I liked. The yeah. vi- not the song so much. Right. The song was okay. It was kind of a Dave Edmonds, like kind of- Yeah, kind of like rockabilly Adjacent. Kinda, yeah. The video I liked, it had right. that like kind of 50s malt shot mm-hmm. look of like Cindy Lauper's right. Girls Just Want to Have Fun. It had like a girl in a crinoline dancing around having a good time. It was very 80s. Mm-hmm. It basically looked like an ad for like Flip of Hollywood or like Camp Beverly Hills. Capizios Hill. or something. Capizios. Yeah, that's right. a good reference there. Yeah. I have no recollection of that. Lightning did not strike twice. Did not, but it got some MTV play because I, I, that's how I found it. And I, and of course, another great acquisition from the great cutout bin. <laughs> the bottom of the yes, cutout bin. 99 cents. But Abracadabra was a hit. Oh, huge. And I don't think probably most Steve Miller band like diehards like it. Right. I have I some, a friend of mine wrote on uh, Facebook the other day that if that song had been done by Jonathan Richmond, everyone would have thought the lyrics were ironic and genius. Right, right. Every time you call me. 
I used to roller disco to that song. Another one that didn't have a follow-up. There you go. Why was there no, no follow-up? No, we, we just had a follow-up. No, bongo, but, bongo. But I mean, from that album, there was no follow-up single that that was a hit. I don't know weird. if I can impress upon our yeah. listeners, I wish this was a video podcast, how... <laughs> 80s that bongo bongo video was it, it had every cliche it had like pastel neon colors bad computer early computer amiga graphics kind of money for yeah. nothing but on a budget graphics right, right it had like a sort of screensavers flying toasters mm-hmm. look to it mm-hmm. it had the, the cindy lopper clone what year was that 85. So, yes, it's yeah. very like mm-hmm. Cindy Lauper, new shoes looking chick. Polka dots. A lot of polka dots, kind of three blonde women who kind of look like the, Del, the yeah. Del Rubio triplets. Was yep. that them? Yep. It kind of was checking all the 80s. You know what it looks like? It looks like a new monkeys video. Yes. Yes. By the way, I love the new monkeys. Yeah, I, I'm, but like, I'm surprised so- we didn't see Marty Ross running past <laughs> the, the girl in the video. But like, you know, every, yeah, very much like 80s by committee. Yep. Very much like yeah. it, the same people on The Simpsons who like did the Poochie episode. Yes. Would be like, this is the 80s. It's <laughs> like this, 80s Poochie. After this, Steve Miller went back to his own planet <laughs> and crashed. The end. <laughs> I have to go. My planet needs <laughs> me. Exactly. <laughs> but the best part of that video, besides all that, is Steve Miller is in it for like one shot That's in the diner. Good. And he's like, and he has this look on his, oh no, he's in the recording studio. Mm. And this girl's dancing in front of him. There's the computer graphic guy playing the bongos. And Steve has this look on his face. Like the director said, look bewildered. And I don't think he needed direction. No, he was he was definitely typecast in <laughs> yes. that video. But that's why that video is good because let's face it, a whole other podcast we could do about would be about the transition yeah. that some artists made successfully or not to the MTV era when they didn't have those Simon LeBon pretty boy looks. I think besides the Christopher Crosses of the world who couldn't yeah. make the transition, mm-hmm. I think you and I agree. Even the train wrecks are amazing. Oh yeah, sometimes they're better <laughs> yeah. than the successful videos. I we'll do it. that some other time. Great. Who else do we want to talk about? New wave people. I have one. New wave attempts. I have, I another, say. I have another obscureish one. So stick with me here. I'll see if I know it. Share. I paralyze. Vague memory of this. Okay, one. her only album for Columbia. Is this the same album that had a roller skating in Venice Beach? No, that was that was Casablanca. Okay. That, that was Hell on Wheels, which yeah, that one I know. Amazing, mm-hmm. 1979 though. Uh, okay, it uh, looked 80s though. Yes, I Paralyze is 81, and who is the biggest female singer on the planet in 1981? Olivia Newton-John. Olivia Newton-John. So why not get John Farrar, her writer and producer, to do? A single for share. Do you know who John Farrar's son is? Sam Farrar. Sam, right. Mm-hmm. Who was in, is in Phantom Planet and yes. is in Maroon 5. There you go. But yeah, I know John Farrar. He did like a, I'm the one that you want mm-hmm. and, or you're the one that I want, sorry. Physical. And physical. But from Greece, he did your, he did the two songs that weren't in the musical. He did. Correct. You're the one that I want and hopelessly devoted to you. Right. He pretty much had a Midas touch back then. Make a move on me. Uh, heart attack. Wow. I mean, hit machine for Olivia, right? And he he kind of helped her transition uh, exactly. Olivia to a little bit of a new wave adjacent. Uh, twist of fate, living in desperate times. Can we talk about the two of a kind movie? Uh, Some other time. I think we should. Uh, I, love that. I love that movie. <laughs> but okay, so did John Farrar give his Midas touch to Cher? Artistically, I think so. <laughs> uh, Not so much. Char- uh, charting wise. A huge, almost, I would say, humiliating flop for Cher. Oh, no. Because, you know, she hadn't had a hit since Take Me Home, and this was like uh, a transition for her. Again, the cover, is, the sleeve is amazing. It's a close-up of Cher with, like, new wave, pointy sunglasses. Is this the era where she was sort of wearing the faux hawk for a while? The no, short that, hair? not the Black Rose era. This is post-Black Rose <laughs> oh, Cher. I'm so sorry, yes, John. come on, Mix up please. the Black Rose era. How I'm dare so you? sorry. That's when she was- We'll have to edit that that's out. That's when she was punk. Oh, uh, see, th- yeah. This, this is her- There's a fine line between yeah. punk and new wave. She was punk, but yeah, totally different head, totally, uh, <laughs> as Johnny Slash would say. I love a good Square yes. Pegs reference. She was kind of, okay, please forgive me Top 40 radio, I'm coming back. And she performs it on American Bandstand. It's on YouTube. Do we have to pause the podcast again? Maybe. I'll watch it later. She's kind of wearing stonewashed denim. She kind of looks like she just came from, you know, her house. You know, she didn't really get like a, a an outfit on. She's got That's like, not the share I know. The no, Bob Mackie, there's a, no, a pointed share I know and love. It was almost Where was Bob Mackie? Yeah, it was, but I think it was a calculated thing. I think it was here I am, you know, this you was, all know me. This was her Joanne phase. Exactly. And 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 she That's a Lady Gaga reference, yes. by the way. She does she does she lip syncs. The crowd goes insane. I don't know if they put something in the punch at American Bandstand, but they're they're like 
way too enthusiastic for this. It's Cher. That's what I think it was because she had a little lull here, but it was still, wow, there's this freaking superstar in front of us on American Bandstand. For Cher to do American Bandstand, it was kind of a step down for her at that point. She also did it on Solid Gold, so that tells you how what was going on there. She was Uh, putting in the work. I'm impressed. Right. The best part of the American Bandstand performance, Dick Clark, of course, comes out to interview her, and she says, you know what? I think I'm going to get into acting. I'm going to be on Broadway in Welcome Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, in a few months, and I hope it goes well. He's like, you're doing a movie, right? She goes, yeah, it's going to be called Silkwood, and it stars Meryl Streep, and you're like, wow, this is like a cool time capsule. So after this, she probably was like, you know what? Screw music. I, you know, this this John Farrar thing, whatever. She apparently likes the song because in to go back to your reference to the behind the music and the share behind the music, she says that's the one song she wishes was a hit and that yeah. she could re-record. Sure, damn it. She could do whatever she yeah, wants. Instead so. of recording all these ABBA songs, right? Why, why doesn't she record some of her lesser-known gems? Come on, I paralyzed. <laughs> or do some Olivia Newton-John songs. Right. Oh, can you imagine Cher doing an Olivia covers record? That would actually be good. The Juliana Hatfield one is good. I, don't know if I you've love heard that. that. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Uh, I'm writing all this down now. <laughs> <laughs> we have so many notes. So many We've wanted ideas. to pause this 10 times to, be, to watch something on YouTube or yes. check something out. There are a couple here. Okay. I want to bring up one that was successful because we have talked about some Please do. that were either misunderstood at the time or didn't do well. Billy Joel made a pretty good trans- transition. Pressure. Great song. Still rock and roll to me. Still rock and roll to me. There were a lot of songs sort of that were about like, hey, I still like rock and roll. Like Bob Seger's one was like that Bob Seger, uh, uh, Mm -hmm. the Tom Uh, Cruise song, uh, the underwear song. uh, That old time rock and roll. Old time rock and roll. Yes. (laughs) Underwear song. (laughs) I don't know. That's an (laughs) 80s reference. Give me The guy who danced in his underwear. I'm not a Bob Seger. I mean, I'm a fan in the sense that I have respect for him. But you know. Detroit. Come on. Did he ever do a new wave song? Bob Seger. Uh, he stuck to his gun. What was the song he did from Beverly Hills Cop? That okay. Was, yeah, there was like a little synthy kind of right. the heat is on. As far as he was going to go. Seger thing. But, yeah. you know, we're talking about like AOR artists and stuff. Yeah. And Billy Joel was, you know, kind of a soft rock guy. Mm-hmm. He did a trio of songs I would classify as New Wave. One was Pressure, which you mentioned, yep. which was a huge MTV song. It was nominated for a bunch of, I remember it was before the VMAs, but the first time they ever had some kind of video award thing. Mm-hmm. Gypsy was nominated, <laughs> and uh, only the Lonely by the Motels was oh. nominated, and Pressure was nominated. All the because these yeah. were like the early epic videos that were really taking things. And I am still scarred by him being sucked down the couch. legs first into the shag area rug, <laughs> yes. and he's freaking out watching like se- it, the line mm. is like Sesame Street. What does it mean? I'm like, why are you so freaked out about Sesame Street? The 80s were a simple time. Why is he so? Why is he under such pressure? The 80s were a simpler time. We didn't have the internet, right? We didn't have cell phones. Maybe that's why we didn't have twenty. We didn't have CNN yet. But he. But it was a very like there were a lot of and we'll talk about this in another podcast. But there were a lot of songs in the eighties that were like about anxiety, like paranoia, get get nervous by. um, I have a lot of notes about that. Pat Benatar, get nervous, and just like a lot of songs like that were like just oh I'm so tense, and this was the a really good synthy version of that. You've only had to run so. Rock and Roll to Me, which I just mentioned, which right. was kind of like, kind of like crazy little thing called Love. It had a little yeah. bit of a rockabilly thing going on, but it, and it had this theme that would appeal to his older fan base, like the Bob Seger right. underwear song that I couldn't remember. But like, he, oh, he, I still love rock. And he literally name checks New Wave mm-hmm. in the song as well, so I was on board. What's the matter with the car I'm driving? Can't you tell that it's out of style? Should I get a set of white walls? 
Are you gonna cruise a miracle mile? Nowadays you can't be too sentimental Your best bet's true baby blue continental Hot funk, cool punk Even if it's old junk Still rock and roll to me And then Big Shot Big Shot, a great song I always had trouble with the lyrics Really? I didn't it's a cocaine un- song for yeah, sure. Yeah, I didn't understand them as a kid. I was like, did they go to a party and did he get in a fight with his girlfriend? I don't because be why was she being a big shot? She was just speaking her mind. What's wrong? There's a really good version of this song. I don't know if it was ever recorded, but it was at a, a, a some live TV thing. It is Brendan Urie from Panic of the Disco yeah. doing this song. Oh, wow. That's and it's cool. really good because he's got the attitude in the pipes. I always thought it would be really good to have a rap artist cover this Ooh. and be like, so like, you had to be a bitch. <laughs> like the song has a lot of attitude and it feels very forced. Right. But I talked earlier about commitment and mm-hmm. Billy Joel really committed to this. Because you had to be a big shot, did you? You had to open up your mouth. You had to be a big shot, did you? All your friends were so knocked out. You had to have the last word, last night, you know. was young enough that I think he could transition into this genre without looking ridiculous. All he had to do was put on a skinny tie and a suit. That's all. Yeah, it was kind of knackish. It was very knack. I don't think anyone would begrudge him trying to get away from the piano balladry. He was... He was young because to me, he already seemed old. To me, he looked this, he always looked 40, no he matter pro- what. He probably wasn't even 30 yet. Yeah, he always looked 40. But speaking of people who transitioned well, Don Henley. Okay. Johnny Can't Read. Football, baseball, basketball game. Drinking beer, kicking ass, and taking down names. Well, a top down, get around, shooting the line. Summer is here, and Johnny's keeping the fine. Johnny Can't Read. Summer is over, and he's going to see. You know that Johnny Can't Read. You never learn nothing that it ever need. Johnny Can't Read. Dirty Laundry. You consider Dirty Laundry a new wave song? The the, the typewriter synths and everything and the the dun, okay. dun, 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 right. and um Boys of Summer. You it's, consider that a new wave song? It's all sequencers. Okay, I guess it, you know. You know, think about it. It still sounds like Don Henley to me. It I would does. I would give you the uh it's what was the first Still Don one? Henley to me. It's still Don <laughs> Henley to me. I do want to li- list off real quick uh, uh just general Go. anxiety songs because I did like Pressure. There was Men at Work with Who Can It Be Now and Overkill. Yep. There was Under Pressure by Bowie and Queen. Of course. There was pretty much anything Oingo Boingo ever did. <laughs> Private Life, Nothing Bad Ever Happens to Me, Nothing to Fear. Right. There was Killing Jokes, the 80s. Mm-hmm. There was Somebody's Watching Me by Rockwell. Yeah. Pat Benatar's Get Nervous. Games Without Frontiers and Shock the Monkey by Peter Gabriel. Mm-hmm. I mean, why were people so friggin' tense? I don't know, but you forgot ZZ Top got me under pressure. Something that we're going to talk about in another mm-hmm. episode, the anxiety of the Cold War, living under the cloud of the mushroom bomb, we'll get nuclear specifically. cloud of the bomb. There were songs that were like anxiety that were more like being um, anxious about things that were politically happening, which we'll yeah. save for another podcast. But there were also ones that were very like being internally like freaked out about yeah. like too much information or whatever. And even not even the songs, but sometimes the videos would be about that mm-hmm. and had nothing to do with the song. Like Bow Wow Wow, Do You Want to Hold Me? Mm-hmm. Which, you know, it's a kind of a love song. I love but that song. that video is all about Reagan and Gorbachev. And, being scared. A lot yeah. of people were scared of Minnie Mouse. Yes. And Disney <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. And, you know, you'd have like Pat Benatar in a pad. A lot of videos yeah. in padded cells. And all she Mental was health. Doing, mental she, health. Sorry. She was but. just going to the dentist. Mm-hmm. Well, that would make <laughs> people nervous but we're going off track as uh, going back to new wave transitional songs for 70s artists or even earlier than mm-hmm. 70s artists paul mccartney had a moment i have in my notes coming up and temporary Good. secretary yep and sparks 
Sparks, I don't know. Well, she he was obviously inspired by Sparks. Because Which is another band that made a very good, credible, I think of them as a new wave band. I didn't know their glam they, stuff till earlier. They later. genre jump all over the place. Yeah. But if you go back to that McCartney 2 album and look at the video for coming up, one of the characters he plays, because he plays multiple characters in that video, is yeah. Ron Mayle from Sparks. No it's way. It's Paul McCartney with a little Ron Mayle mustache at the keyboards. Amazing. Being, staring at the camera intensely, just like Ron. I do. I yeah. vaguely remember this. Now, yeah, like Paul McCartney and Linda played every part. Yes, exactly. obviously made a very good transition to the 80s whether it was the stuff he did with Stevie Wonder or the stuff he did with uh, Michael Jackson and yeah. I even I will say my favorite 80s song by him is No More Lonely Nights that movie might have sucked right but the song did not and then he kind of dipped his toe a little too far in with <laughs> Press to Play Remember what was Press? on that? Press was the single and it was basically like I would never ever use this adjective to describe a Paul McCartney song but it was tuneless. <laughs> like, what? where's the melody here? Where's the hook? Maybe that's the thing that we have to learn from this is when you say dip the toe too far in yes. is like you can do Billy Joel. You can right. put on a skinny tie right. and, you know, do pressure, do big shot, but mm-hmm. sort of still sound like Billy Joel. You can do Don Henley and do these things, but still, as I said, sound like Don Henley. But if you go too far and you do Neil Young trans or you do Village People Renaissance or you do mm-hmm. Sean Cassidy or the Cher thing it might backfire on you. Exactly. I think that is a really good way to wrap it up. All right. Hope everyone learned a lot. We have a lot. Everyone wrote down, took notes because you have some YouTube uh, clips for us all to check out afterwards. Thank you so much for joining us on Totally 80s. Thank you, the other John Hughes, for joining me. My pleasure. I learned a lot of grim facts today. And if you miss something and you want to comment, you want to add some of your grim facts, please uh, follow us at wearetotally80s.com or Totally80s on Facebook or Instagram. And also follow us for tons of news stories about our favorite decade. And we'll see you next time. This was Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Totally80s and please leave us a review on your favourite podcast platform. Until our next episode, catch you on the flip side. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader.